Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Straight Talk Radio, where we discuss business, politics, and culture. This is Donya Keating. I'm your host. We're coming to you live from the Seattle area. It's about 1 p.m. Pacific time, and it's on Friday, April 28th. Listeners, you can dial 602-753-1970. CJ will patch you in for live on-air comments or questions. Raise your hand by pressing 1 on your keypad, and uh, we know you want to speak at that point. There's also a chat option um, that she's working in moderator mode that gets all of you uh, your questions and comments sent my way. So back on April 13th, we tried to do this show. And my faithful sidekick, Charles, was off-site somewhere making noise, um, as he's done the last couple of shows. And so we put him on mute uh, temporarily, and the Blog Talk radio software went haywire, and it cut off my mic. So, of course, I didn't know that, but I kept getting these texts and chat messages about, you know, where were we, et cetera, until I finally figured it out that I spent about 35 minutes talking to myself, thinking that I was uh, live and on air. So, oi, uh, you know, I'm, I'm busy. And uh, so it's a challenge to kind of drag me into the studio for this stuff. But here we are, and we're going to give it another go. Um, if Charles is uh, calling in today, and I think he is uh, slated to do that, if he starts doing his whatever it is he's doing when he's at client sites, I'm going to chop him off at the knees. <laughs> Seriously, though. Um, let's restate some obvious ground rules while we're getting started. So sharp elbows and strong opinions, fine. No big deal. Crazy, airlocked. I don't care where you fall on this particular issue. I'm open to all sides in terms of input. I just don't want people that don't know how to be an adult. So let's get to it. Two years ago, I think, and actually I think it was two years ago tomorrow that I was approached by a friend with an idea about a municipal electric utility, which is Island Power. And I did a show about it uh, with two of the co-founders and Charles, of course. And so actually, well, yeah, I think it was two years ago tomorrow that we did the show itself. So not long after that, I did one with Puget Sound Energy or PSC, and I felt like it was only fair because we we want to hear both sides from each guest or each you know issue you know in the in the community. So I think we accomplished that. Fast forward to April 2017, which is where we are right now, and there was we've had some town hall meetings, we've had community calls, um, city council meetings, um, smaller ward meetings with uh, city council members, a draft of the feasibility study from D. Hiddle Associates that was commissioned by the city. So all of this stuff has taken place. And, you know, the report left a lot to be desired in terms of conforming to an RFP. Um, but after feedback from the, the municipal task force, um, there's a final draft that's in the works that's expected sometime next month. And then from there, City Council is going to review it and invite public comment and debate and then decide whether or not to proceed with the proposal. And then uh, at that point, I guess, we decide whether or not it ends up on the ballot for a community vote or whether it just kind of gets uh, deep six for some other alternatives, which people are fortunately already starting to discuss you know, as a solutions-oriented type of mentality. So as you can imagine, it's gone from a community debate to all-out warfare for some people because they see this as a zero-sum game. Don't know why, but it's Bainbridge, so it is what it is. But at some point, if you are um, on the island, you've come across the Facebook page or group that's out there called Bainbridge Islanders. Uh, you know, I can't even begin to describe some of the threads and characters who've participated on that issue, except to say that it beats any reality television show I can possibly imagine seeing, and I don't even watch television. So Charles is, um, like I said, one of my occasional sidekicks, um, just because I enjoy the contrast of, of his engagement and how he participates. But... Um, 
he posted a straw poll in this group asking if members would vote to approve a municipal electric utility or an MEU for convenience sake. And the responses are kind of running 10 to 1, although I hear since our last attempt to broadcast, it's about 11 to 1. But seriously, I mean, the rubbish I've witnessed as a result of the poll is just completely surreal. And that's about as much as I'll say on it right now in the intro. Um, I've read most, uh, if not all, of the comments on that group as I've been available. But rarely do I participate because I just value my time and I, I just think it's way too stupid, uh, frankly, some of the stuff that's happening there. But it is entertaining. So today we're going to talk more about some of what's transpired. Um, we're going to bring you up to date on where we are in all of this whole uh, discussion. And then feel free to call in and share your thoughts about any of it. Um, and, and like I said, nobody's going to be cut off unless you're an ass. And then, of course, you deserve to be cut off. So let's go see who's on the line here. All right, who's out there? Charles is here. Yay, my trusty sidekick. Hello, Charles. I'm not doing server work today, so you should be okay. Thank goodness. Oh, my God. Anyway, uh, let's jump right into it. So um, do you want to give a quick intro about who you are and, and, and just kind of jump from there into – I'll jump from there into the feasibility study, but just a little um, – uh, groundbreaking information. Well, I'm an IT and tech consultant. Um, I've helped run the tech association for the last 17 years. Um, we've held meetings on uh, a variety of technology topics, but it also overlaps into the uh, power arena. Uh, I live on Bainbridge Island, and as a result, when this municipal electric utility came up, you know, we, we having done you know meetings on uh, you know solar net metering and smart grid and things like that, we were very interested. So we kind of looked at both sides of this issue, and I think there's there's really some considerable risks in, in the plan that uh, Island Power proposes, which is why even though I like the idea of using hydro, solar, wind, you know, um, in their particular case, they want to use hydro nuke uh, through BPA. Uh, the part of the problem is, is the, 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 the project requirements necessary to get there, that's where the devil's in the details. And uh, so I've been proposing that we not go down this route for quite some time, and that's been a real problem. That's why we're against yeah. Hmm. Yeah, and I yeah, and I would say that you know I've kind of watched that, and it was right, very ironic because in a lot of ways we weren't really a part of this conversation until we were approached. Um, you know, we were approached by Jane, whom I've known for many years, and so have you. And she was actually a member of the association that we are, were both on the board of, and. Um, and so we decided, based upon that friendship and based upon what we heard, we had an open mind at the time, hey, let's do a podcast. Let's bring it out into the community and let's have this conversation. And wherever it lands, it lands. Um, and then as time went on and we started looking at some of the information and we thought, well, wait a minute. We, Based upon our knowledge, we understand how this stuff works and, and what's going to move really move the needle and what isn't. So, you know, first of all, now that our reputations are on the line and you've asked us to do a pro public show and people started asking, were we endorsing Island Power? We had to kind of keep an open mind. Uh, and then because we had put ourselves out there, when the information started becoming like, you know, these promises of what was going to happen and we knew that wouldn't happen, we started having to stand up for the fact that we actually put this stuff out into the community. So it was interesting to see that we had gone from being asked to be vocal, at least, you know, both of us. And then when you became more vocal about it after the, the uh, details started to roll out, out. Now people wanted you to kind of be quiet and go away, and then they started to impugn um, the reputation of a, a third-party corporation. And it just – anyway, we'll get to that later. Let's talk for a minute about the feasibility study because that's really sort of what put the pedal to the metal for this community in terms of looking at what was possible um, and there were several points and holes, frankly, mentioned by the community and the task force and city council. Um, and so the overall feedback included questions um, regarding whether the proposal actually would be cleaner and cheaper or more reliable and whether or not what's being sold was actually achievable. So I have a couple of my own bullet points that I could go over, but I wanted to just kind of drag you in and say, you know, what are some of your thoughts about the feasibility study? Well, um when the city council was considering whether or not to do this, they um, they they had their task force uh, write up an RFP of questions. What would it look like if we were to you know go down this road? And that RFP is out there. And then the uh, the people that they elected to do it was D. Hiddle, which had done the RFP for several other communities. You know, responded to the RFPs in several other communities. And I looked at their prior work product and was like really shocked at how little. They looked at the uh, possible risks of what they were implementing in their plan. 
you know, they were looking at it, they were basically selling it as this pie in the sky, everything's wonderful, there are no risks, here's your cost. Um, obviously, there's cost to, to what they were doing, and they were focusing on that, but they weren't really talking about risks or other factors. So I brought this to the city council when I said, I don't think you should spend 100000 because on Bainbridge, we don't have the necessary infrastructure. You'd have to build it. You'd have to condemn the network. It's not for sale. You're going to spend a lot of money just getting to the point where you can take advantage of the benefits that would be proposed. And so it shouldn't pencil out. I don't even know why you're doing it, but they decided to go and do it anyways. And sure enough, that RFP came back. It didn't have any of the risks. It didn't really identify a lot of the costs that would be necessary to build an independent network. And the task force members point, dutifully pointed out these same things, but they were aware of these before they even started, and they didn't include them. So that's kind of where my concern about the RFP and how D. Hiddle has responded uh, with their first draft. And I'm not confident that their second draft will include it because they were aware of it up front, what they didn't include. It's been pointed out to them again and again, and I don't know why they don't provide a proper work product. Well, okay, so... I've drafted um, and helped a lot of companies to create um, RFPs when they were looking to um, hire vendors and have them respond to those RFPs. And I've also um, submitted quite a few RFPs, and so has your company, uh, with respect to finding different projects that we've been solicited to to respond to. And so, you know, obviously, just as a basic operating principle as a business, you know, when you're giving a draft, you can kind of assume that there are going to be some tweaks to that after the fact when you have more conversation, when you understand more about what the project is, and when they've had an opportunity to review a lot of the responses to those RFPs and decide, you know, who they want to hone in on. And so just as a basic principle, like I was saying before, that's going to be your best work product right there. Um, And it it really was surprising to me to see how many holes there were in their draft, because that tells me that they either didn't understand, refused to provide that information deliberately, or they were just plain sloppy. So, um, you know, the cost and the length of the acquisition, including the legal and consulting fees, and when that money could be better spent on something, you know, that we could work with, I mean, some of the articles that, you know, we'll get to some of that, but some of the articles that even Island Power advocates have been posting are some of these um, ideas that don't require purchasing, a hostile purchase, no no less, of, you know, PSC's infrastructure. Um, and then there's also the current infrastructure for operations and maintenance, which is beyond the initial acquisition cost, the higher cost of operating in, in this environment regarding land and labor, and the promises that we're going to have so many employees. And it's like you're looking around and we're, we're dealing with, um, you know, district people and, and administrators and principals and law enforcement, and none of these people can afford to live here. So you look at the average cost for our salary for a line which is about seventy seventy five thousand dollars a year, and my first thought was how how are they going to live here and so you know and then the other thing is you know what could happen during the condemnation process and the transition in terms of addressing reliability or improvements what's going to happen with that? Obviously, some of the things about scale and resources and expertise with a small utility it's you know when you're talking about major storms and you know also, just buying the power from BPA is kind of a reallocation of existing hydro resources, not necessarily new generation. So, you know, you're kind of looking at it from a net environmental benefit. You say you want to change emissions and carbon and climate change and everything else, but you, basically you're just kind of shifting columns here. So, I mean, that's something that it's not that it's not a noble gesture. It's not that it's not an important thing to do. But when you're really talking about making some type of a, a, a substantial change to a problem that you've identified it's not just about us getting our our clean power and the heck with everybody else. So that I kind of have a problem with that as a person with a long time um, interest in, in career and environmental issues. So, and then of course there's the debt of the taxable bonds, and um, you know some of the electric revenues will go off the island for electric power purchases and infrastructure. So I mean you can kind of go on and on and on, but. Um, by virtue of the size and the complexity and the risk, you know, some are actually thinking about, hey, you know, if you're going to be putting all of your resources and your time into trying to get this thing off the ground, what about other things that are in the, in the city that require our attention? So it, it was just one of those things where, you know, in order to have a, a real discussion about some of these, it was very unfortunate, at least for me and, and I'm assuming for other people, um, to see that this got lost into a, um, a, a railroaded into an anti-green 
green, anti-city um, of Bainbridge Island, pro-PSC thing, where everybody just, it became so limited in its thinking. And so any kind of a challenge that was presented, you were present, you were cast as the enemy, you as an us in the community, cast as the enemy instead of trying to really explore what it would be like for us to invest in renewable energy sources and implement projects um, versus having a hostile type of an engagement. So, I mean, I would say the questions we should be asking are, you know, what are we changing and for whom and what's the net impact and does the result that we're looking at right now justify that investment and are there other or better options? So, yes. Um, but I wanted to get back to the something that, that really disturbed me and um, that was the attacks against you, Charles, um, because of your service on a nonprofit board that received sponsorship support from PSC. Um, you know, there are obviously some very important distinctions that nonprofits have to make between what's happening with their organization and what their board members or their executive staff, um, what they're doing. And, of course, there are some other uh, sub-issues with 501c3s in particular with respect to their lobbying activities and the uh, percentage of lobbying that they're allowed to do or they'll lose their charter. So this is kind of serious stuff. And constantly out there in the community trying to do the work of a nonprofit, trying to raise money um, through uh, donors and, and sponsors, and having someone out there completely um, uh, defaming and trying to create false links between you as an individual who lives on this island and a nonprofit that isn't even related to this island except for some of the kids that are coming to some of the events in Polsbo. I mean, what are your thoughts about that? Well, We've been involved in the Technology Association since 2000, and Coder Doja was launched just a few years ago. But PSC has been a sponsor even before that. PSC was a sponsor of Weston Technology Association. And that's because, you know, we as volunteers think that we need to build a high-tech future for the West Sound. We think that the East Sound's got a lot of tech industry, but in the West Sound, we're very focused on military and retail. And while there's a lot of people that live here and commute over there, uh, I think it would be a much more sustainable environment and economy if we develop more opportunities locally. That's been the thrust of this thing for the last 17 years. And I don't think people disagree with that. In fact, a lot of people support it. A lot of people volunteer. Um, obviously, not enough. I mean, it's not like you can do these things for no cost. So we seek sponsors, and mem we, for many years, have run WSD as a membership organization using memberships and sponsors. And many people have attended things like the West on, uh, Western Washington Summit on Technology and Innovation. I think for the last three or four years, we've focused heavily on education and educating our next generation of workforce. You know, and uh, thankfully, PSC is a sponsor of some of those efforts. Now, the fact that PSC sponsors efforts to help support kids' education uh, doesn't disqualify the fact that um, you know, they have other interests. And uh, as for myself, I have other interests as well. Just because I work with them on that doesn't mean that that's what makes me want to oppose this uh, initiative on the island. What makes me want to oppose this initiative on the island is the fact that it would be a $100 million project that could go very wrong. So I'm not going to be silenced because somebody said, well, look, you work with them in something else, so now we're not going to trust you. Well, fine. These people also have interest in initiatives and what they're pushing. But um, there was many opportunities where people pointed out that, you know, Steve was – uh, was behind the effort in Jefferson County, and he actually got sanctioned and lost the job over it. We never made a big deal out of it. People wanted to throw it out there in front. I don't think that that makes his points invalid. I think what it says is, you know, he's got an interest in what he thinks is, is valid in terms of uh, trying to promote public power. I think public power works in other areas. I think hydropower is good. Um, uh, I, I think it has some detriments, but it, it, in, in, on a, in a total balance, it's, it's a good idea. So it's not like their idea was completely cockamamie. I just think when you started to look at the metrics of what you would need to do to make it work on Bainbridge, you kind of go, there's a lot of pieces that aren't here that would make this a real problematic project. Not only do we lack the infrastructure, but we'd have to make a lot of investments. And for people that realize this is a very big, very complicated, very expensive thing, uh, they rightfully have an issue with maybe not wanting the city to focus on that when they need to focus on roads and schools and other things that are already kind of under their purview. So instead of expanding our scope of work, 
we need to we need to cut back. We need to do less. I mean, we already have people leaving Bainbridge Island because of, of affordability issues, and things like this could make it a lot worse. So that's the basis for my objection. Um, I don't think it's fair that they try to drag in a, a nonprofit entity that I work with and try to you know sully it. Uh, if you want to come and see a Coder Dojo in action and see what we're really doing, fine, by all means. May 13th, uh, we're having a Coder no, Dojo. No, 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 that's not, it, this is not the topic, so just knock it off, really. Um, I mean, I asked <laughs> you a specific question. Is, just if you, you want you know, to see what we're doing, no, I get it, I get it, but I mean, this is kind of, you know, yeah. this is turning into this whole grant. We don't need all that. I mean, I'm just saying to you yeah. and, and, and sympathizing with the organization. Um, because obviously I've actually advised the organization. I helped co-found it as a co-founding member. I served as president for many years, but I'm not here to promote that. I'm just saying as a general principle that, you know, if, if there, we have personal opinions and investments as people who live here. Um, there are many people that live here that have served on boards, that are still serving on boards, um, that are executive directors and so forth of nonprofits that have received money over the years from PSC. I don't care if it's current or if it's in the past. The bottom line here is that there is a clear distinction between unless there's somebody that comes out like the Bainbridge Chamber did, you know, they made a statement about it, and they have a right to make a statement about it without being vilified or without being defamed and without being um, accused of having its board purchased by PSC. I mean, I haven't seen any money in, in my research. You know, Chris and I were researching it. No one's received the type of money that would actually um, – put someone in the position of being purchased by PSC on a board or a nonprofit to just blindly support them. I mean, it's, it's just, there's not that much kind of, that's not that much money flowing around, first of all. But second of all, it's a very serious allegation to make against a nonprofit because it can make people in this community, like you mentioned the Coder Dojo. I mean, you're going around trying to get donations and trying to build that that initiative, and now all people are seeing in this group is that you know that group is crooked because that group has board members that have been purchased by a sponsor. It's defamatory. It can hurt. And so you know, I thought about you know contacting every nonprofit on the island at one point that receives sponsorship dollars and having them sign a letter that's published in the Kitsap Sun or the Bainbridge Review that basically says to Island Power, hey, stop it. This is disgusting. You know, if you really want to bring something to this community, we will listen to you and we will have a conversation. But if you're going to resort to those tactics, then that, re that reflects on your credibility, and we're going to run you out of town unless you're going to be behind a very ethical discussion on this issue. So, I mean, I've seen the arguments about – uh, transparency and that people need to be transparent. And I get that too, but I've also seen through those as an effort to discredit individuals or silence their input because basically if those same nonprofits said that they supported Island Power, I doubt very seriously that they would even care about that association's PSE partnership. So that suggests to me that it's retaliatory. It's also very willful. It's also very malicious because you in particular have repeatedly tried to note that the nonprofit hasn't made any official a public statement on this issue and that you did not like having those types of comments out there. So persisting in that actually speaks to that part of defamation that goes for, to willful and malicious behavior. So I, I think that at some point, if it doesn't stop, then you should, you know, go out there and get a letter from those nonprofits and you should talk to your attorney and you should make them responsible. So I, I, I just think of it as another version of an ad hominem attack. Uh, they don't want to deal with the facts. They want to say, you know, you are all bought. So they want to make it about the people. They want to try to undermine the arguments that, well, I don't care what they point at, at me for. They're not going to get this network uh, taken over without a condemnation lawsuit. There's millions right there in spending. I don't care what you think is my position. That's a fact. And you have a problem with me telling people that you want to say you want to spend millions on a condemnation lawsuit because you want to push this agenda. A lot of people have a problem with that. And I think the thing is, all this comes down to is making it about the, the uh, trying to make it about the argument about instead of making it about the issue. Yeah, and speaking of the argument, and I would say one final comment on that, and then I'm just going to kind of move forward, is that it's already hurting them. I mean, there are people that don't agree with this to begin with, but now they're looking at their tactics and they're saying, we don't want to do business with you. I mean, somebody else can bring this forward to the community or another idea, but because of the way that you're behaving, and now you're complaining about how people are doing, quote-unquote, ad hominem attacks, but really some of them are just finally pushing back because they've had enough, and now you see stuff in there with, you know, Steve Johnson going, oh, well, we're not going to – 
unblock you if you stop attacking. And, and just no self-awareness about the fact that they're the ones that started out of the gate with attacking people when we were trying to have a, a, a very civil and sane discussion. It's just unfortunate to see that, especially for me, it's unfortunate to see Jane as a part of it because I've known her for a very long time, and I think she's better than that. Anyway, let's switch gears. Um, talking about some of the things, let's talk about reliability because that's something that pops up in the chat um, and it keeps coming up with some of the um, counter arguments being made by Island Power. So there are um, several reasons that are being offered in support of an MEU. I'm going to call it an MEU. And as with anything, they're both good and bad points. So clean power really isn't something worth arguing about. I think we all get it, and I, I think it's unfortunate that there are people in this community that try to c communicate that we don't. But given the, all, the right conditions, we'd all want it. Um, but when IP supporters start talking about reliability, that's when their advocacy seems to go a bit sideways. You know, so PSC, finally they kept asking them, give us information about your reliability. We figured out as a community that it's trees. Oh, my God, there's trees on the island. So, you know, our community pushed back on a second substation. Undergrounding, I mean, who can really argue against that? It's more visually uh, appealing, but it still has issues given the need to dig up the roads or even remove trees or whatever. But half of our lines are already underground, and we need to figure out or at least have the estimated cost factored into the final report since it's being offered as a solution by Island Power in addition to um, some of the other costs that are being reflected in the uh, draft report. But I, my, my position on that is get as much data, let the chips fall where they may, just tell people what it is, let them make a, de a decision, or you can continue to make emotional arguments about the world we want to live in and leave for our grandchildren and, and hope that people just kind of go with that and forget about the fact that you're arguing about reliability that we are responsible for. So um, what do you want to say about some of that? Well, I was going to say, in the beginning, they were offering these charts. In other words, it's not even so much emotional. It's more like by making an inference, they make an assumption, and the assumption is wrong. And the inference is this. Oh, Bainbridge Island and our territory has poor reliability. Look at other public areas, uh, publicly run networks, and their reliability is much better. So therefore, if you become a public, then your reliability will improve. That was the assumption of the argument, and I've seen the charts presented at every island power meeting that look like that. Um, the problem is when you get into the details, you realize they pull their numbers from different years. They compare different territories that don't have the same trees or the same geography as us, or they've made different types of investments, some of them very expensive investments uh, to do a lot of very uh, extensive undergrounding, different things. So it's kind of like, a, like comparing apples and oranges. When you get specifically onto the territory of Bainbridge and talking about what the reliability problem is, you said, you said it yourself. It's caused by trees falling on wires. So there's two possibilities. One, you're going to either cut back on a lot of the trees, which a lot of people don't want, and Bainbridge has the most restrictive tree-cutting ordinance, I think, of the areas from what I understand, which makes it difficult to trim trees, although PSC has done a better job of trying to work within that, or, uh, that ordinance. And they did a lot of trimming in the last year, so as a result, this year, the outages have been much, much fewer than they were uh, in another year. Another thing is when you throw up years, different years of reliability and say, look, look, the reliability is worse here than other areas, and you compare a storm year on Bainbridge with a non-storm year in another area, you're actually trying to mislead people because those aren't comparable. Some years are worse than others if there's lots of rain and lots of windstorms because it knocks down the trees and the trees take out the power line. So all, all said and done, there really isn't any argument when you come down to it. When they, when they have even Hiddle put it in their argument, they basically said, look, the reliability problems on Bainbridge, 97% of them are caused by trees falling on wires. So either you trim the trees or you deal with the reliability, but there's no magic public power bullet that's going to make the reliability better. It's not like PSC has mismanaged the network, and that's the reason we're having reliability problems. It's not because they didn't invest or they didn't do something right that – you know, they wanted to trim trees. They were told not to. Um, you know, they were limited in a lot of ways from doing the things that they wanted to do. And we've kind of done some half measures. And I think more recently in the last year, there's been more cooperation to improve the network. And I'm sure that when they come out with the numbers for this year, it'll be much better. And the other thing about the reliability, reliability that we talked about earlier, I just kind of touched on it, is, you know, there are three ways that are being proposed to deal with it. A, you trim more trees, which is obvious. I mean, that's something that has to be done or not done. Um, B, you talk about uh, building in some redundancy, which we fought against, and so we have to do that. Um, 
C, well, actually, maybe four things. C, you, you talk about undergrounding, and that's a reality. And, you know, I, I read somewhere, and I don't know if it's true or not, that, you know, um, PSC is offered to pay for a certain percentage of the undergrounding and also for the new substation or whatever. And then the fourth thing is also, um, which I think is a valid point if it's able to um, be achieved, which is the reliability of your crew and, and how available they are. And so, like we said before, I mean, I'm not a cynic or anything. I'm a realist, and I have a lot of uh, years working in this community and also living here. And, and like I said before, we know that there are teachers and law enforcement and all kinds of people who just can't afford to live here. And there's recently um, you know, comments from an icon that has been here. She's uh, very uh, environmental, and she is looking at moving off the island because she feels as if she's being forced off and she can't afford it. And she made a very public statement about trying to um, sell her home and move to Indianola with her kids because she can't afford to live here anymore. So it's just some yeah. realities that we have to, you know, I'm not going to name names, but it's just one of those realities that it's a challenge. And so rather than just have a wholesale dismissal of this um, possibility, um, I think the, co the community should at least have an honest and straightforward discussion about the reality and the impact of it. And so that's kind of what I feel is, is, is being lost here. Um, you know, I, I think that when I go to things, um, the meetings that are by Island Power, and I see Fran Corton there, I'm, I'm very heartened because I, I've known her from the past and worked with her on environmental stuff, and I trust her. And I also trust and really have a high level of respect for Phil Rockefeller and their voices. And even Phil has said, you know, this is something that it, it's not going to, if it doesn't pencil out, we shouldn't do it, even though, you know, he thinks it's a good idea. And then I've spoken with past mayors who said that this came up, you know, years ago um, with city council and they looked at it and it didn't pencil out. So, you know, my, my bottom line here is have the conversation though. Don't, don't turn it into, you know, if we can just beat Charlie down and make him look stupid, then we've won because you haven't, you know, the fact that you're more vocal is because people are listening to you and you're making valid uh, points. So rather than trying to just bludgeon you over the head and threaten to beat you up in perf person for daring to, to tell somebody that they're, they're slamming your nonprofit and defaming it, then you know, step up like adults and have some character and have a have a uh, a decent conversation about this stuff. So anyway, gonna it, move on to something go else. On there. So, huh? I was gonna say. I was gonna say. I mean, it, that's you know, back to that same ad ad hominem type stuff. But I was gonna say on the reliability, there are two other kind of you know, besides the fact that you've got to trim trees to improve reliability, uh, and underground is expensive, and PSC's offered to share some of the costs, like when they wanted to do Winslow, uh, they offered to pay for 60% of the undergrounding costs. But I think another thing that is going to come up uh, eventually, which is also capacity-related, is the substation, building another substation, and looping the system. Those are some fairly expensive costs. Um, back in 2010, uh, there were groups that were opposed to the looping of the system, and uh, you know they didn't want the trees cut again. And as a result, I mean, that's a problem because the system is like a Y. And if you break off one of the branches of the Y, um, obviously you're going to have a lot of customers out. If you make it a loop, um, electricity can be served from two directions. And so any break in, the, in a circle, uh, the customers are still connected to the network. So um, unless it's on the upstream, you know, the, the substation line, so th that's different if it's on the feeder line. So those investments are things that are going to have to be made. And that was one of the things, again, that the DHIDL report didn't include those costs, even though they're going to be necessary costs here in the next five to 10 years, for sure. During the timeline of what this, when this acquisition would occur, those investments are going to need to be made. And I think it was pointed out again in the report, you know, it's, this is a non-starter if we don't even think about what we need to do to make this network more reliable and have greater capacity because there's a lot more people there that are going to be living on the island with all the construction that's going on, and they're going to need electricity. So there are a few commenters who've posted headlines about how the U.K. and Portugal and Madison, Wisconsin, or other areas are a shining example of innovation and moving into clean energy programs, which I actually commend. Um, and, of course, you know, I have a history with it, but I just went back when I saw those things uh, thrown up in the groups, and I took a deeper look, look at them and just kind of noted a few things. So there are Aspen, I think, Burlington, Vermont, Georgetown, Texas, East Hampton, Greensburg, Grand Rapids, Rochester, San Jose. So all of these examples. And when you start looking at them, you realize that a lot of them have um, – uh, community solar uh, 
projects or they enter into contracts with uh, to buy wind power from someplace else. Um, they're partnering with their existing uh, utility companies. They're not buying them out. Um, they're doing um, some of the things, you know, you know, like I said, green power, wind turbines, they're building their own. Some of them are helping to finance that. Um, some of them are doing, uh, you know, they're burning wood and doing biomass. Uh, some of them are, are fast-tracking solar and wind permitting for commercial properties and even residential properties. Some of them were. Um, they're actually instituting energy efficiency measures and lead building and green, you know, uh, you know, net metering like we talked about earlier and lead building and geothermal. I mean, there's a lot of stuff where they're trying to maximize on this. And, I mean, of course, some of these places are much larger than Bainbridge Island, but the, I think what I like about them is they're kind of setting the stage for understanding that it doesn't have to be just, you know, buying out your infrastructure. And then we had a discussion recently about even Microsoft. You know, we we know some people, Microsoft's been a client of mine, that ha- they really in- they recently entered into this deal where they only ended up paying $23 million. They're taking their headquarters, 80% of that. They're going to go look and shop for other renewable sources, but they're still partnering with PSE and trying to find a way to offset some of the um, the, the the problems that they could have with that from a business perspective and, and moving some of their um, sources off that, that grid. So, um, you know, when you start looking at them and, and other people that are starting to get into programs where they're partnering with their utilities and having straightforward community conversations and not really giving up, um, it, I just really wish that we could be having commun- you know, community discussions that were at that level instead of the fractious stuff that I'm starting to see. Um, the UK thing I thought was kind of interesting because you know, that's kind of my, my stomping grounds. And you know, they're moving to coal-free, and I think that's great, but you've got to kind of read beyond the headlines. It's gas. I mean, they've got pipelines, and they've got transported liquid, you know, liquefied natural gas via freighters, and they've got geopolitical considerations. I mean, it's not like... Um, they're moving into solar and wind exclusively, and they don't have some other issues to contend with. So you kind of, kind of get behind, get beyond the headlines, and get beyond the marketing into looking at how these things really work, and use them as an example for some of the things that we can actually go to PSC and negotiate and say, hey, you know, you want to invest some money in us, you want us to stay with you, then this is what we want from you. And, you know, I think that that's something that we're in a position to do instead of just demonizing them and, you know, casting them as the evil coal monster or whatever it is and and not looking at that. Um, And then the other thing is, you know, Portugal. I mean, we, you and I talked about this before. It's a bloody great story and headline. And they ran the country on hydro and wind for like 107 hours straight, making some brilliant strides. Uh, towards 100% renewable sources. It's not like, you know, the UK where they're just shifting to another fossil fuel. But there's also another part of that iceberg. You know, they've got issues with transportation-related GHG emissions. Um, they need to increase their PV production uh, despite their progress. They're still doing oil and gas exploration offshore and onshore. And, of course, in the poorest regions, which is kind of what we've been talking about here on Bainbridge when we, you know, snatch the clean power for ourselves and forget about what's going to happen to those other places. Um, and then, of course, they made premature investments and wind and solar, and so that kind of resulted in high debt that some are saying it's going to take them 65 years to pay off. Um, their energy bills have tripled. The new dams that were expensive and, and destroying agriculture and valleys, they store the power generated from other power sources, and the water has to be pumped in to release them, but they're not producing new renewable energy. And then they also have contracts between um, high single and double-digit interest and have borrowed $80 billion for running expenses, $50 billion in infrastructure, $31 billion salvaging the financial sector, sector given all the fallout. I mean, wow, don't get me wrong. Something has to be done, and we have to come up with a community plan, but there is no free lunch here, and sound bites aren't going to cut it. I mean, many of us really do support clean and green energy, and I can go into all the stuff that I've done with my Global Environmental Newsletter from years ago and the stuff I did with Kitsap Seed and the heat I stood, you know, took for that and, you know, talking with NASCAR and doing the green NASCAR stuff and being on the leadership committee for Repower Kitsap. I just don't understand why... Uh, we have to reduce this to people that don't care about the environment because we're daring to to, uh, to counter that. Can stuff I address that. Jump Can in. I address that? Okay. Yeah. So people are rightfully concerned about CO2 in the atmosphere. And, yeah. you know, coal, coal is a major contributor. And, 
burning any fossil fuel is, is, a, is a contributor, but, you know, there's a lot of activities. I mean, you look at, you start looking at the data, you understand the relationship between methane is a more powerful greenhouse gas contributor, but it doesn't last as long. It doesn't have the same longevity in the environment, things like that. So it's, it's not a simple discussion, but it's a fairly complicated one. But basically what I found by looking at a lot of stuff was while we have a lot of hope about solar and wind, uh, there just isn't enough capacity to make up for what we're already using. So unless we dramatically cut back on our electricity usage, there's no way wind and solar is going to be enough in addition to existing hydro resources to be able to square the equation where we can drastically reduce our carbon footprint right away. Obviously, one of the things that would have been beneficial is if we had uh, uh, invested more in safe nuclear energy. Um, and what I mean safe is meaning if we had updated our design so that they were more meltdown proof than the, than the current designs are. Obviously, we haven't done that, and people are too scared. It is an emotional argument. So people are, are, are shutting down nuclear power plants, even though nuclear power doesn't contribute to global warming in nearly the same way. So where are we at? is that we're going to have to have or develop better ways to store the energy because the big problem is it doesn't sun, the sun doesn't shine all the time and the wind doesn't blow all the time and there isn't enough consistent rainfall patterns to make hydropower work forever for everybody everywhere or enough hydro resources. So guess what? Right now, there is no choice but to obviously invest in some fossil fuel generation unless you have a way to store that energy and move it around or use nuclear power. So... Um, I think people are angry about that, realistically so, but I don't think, you know, throwing up 100 pictures of the Rosebud coal mine and, and declaring coal strip evil solves the problem because right now the fact is our lifestyle depends upon the energy that that plant produces. And if it was turned off tomorrow, there would be brownouts on the grid. We wouldn't have enough energy uh, in order to, from, from just our hydro resources to make everything work. It's a little more complicated than that, but, but that's kind of the gist of the equation. I understand people being angry about coal, but I also realize that it is going away. We're probably going to be dealing with uh, more gas energy production. It's going to displace coal pretty quickly because of the prices of gas versus coal. But over time, we are seeming to re uh, meet our fossil fuel requirements because I think gas is something on the order of 40% less carbon per a uh, kilowatt hour of energy produced than coal. So we're making a substantial reduction uh, just by switching from coal to gas. And as we add more wind and solar, that'll make an impact as well. But we're going to also have to come up with storage technologies as well. And whether those are stored in batteries of electric cars or whatever, or power walls, if you had power walls, it still wouldn't solve the problem. If everybody had a power wall, if the sun didn't shine for, for 20, 30 days like it does here in Bainbridge all, all, quite frequently, everybody would be out of power if we were trying to solve this with just solar and power walls. So it's a complicated argument. I understand people are emotional and angry, but just because they're emotional and angry about coal doesn't mean that that justifies this project. Yeah, and I thought about uh, some of the recent. I went back in before we uh, when we got got a chance to reschedule this podcast, I went back in and looked at, oh, my God, I almost want to charge somebody for making me come back in and look at some of those comments in the, the Facebook group. But, I mean, the recent conversation and how it just completely went off the rails was, you know, you have someone who I believe is probably one of the more reasonable people in there, Bonnie McBrien, and she's trying to get information regarding, you know, what is our real impact to society and how can we reduce that in terms of emissions? And she talked about the automobiles which in transportation, which is obviously more than half of what we're doing here in Washington State. And it's not that that was mentioned in the article that you posted. It was meant to diminish the fact that there are other impacts here. It was to have a conversation which hopefully is going to be more inclusive when we start to go to city council, especially after this island power thing fails, which I think it will. But it puts us in a position to start looking at some of the things that we can do as projects to start mitigating that stuff. And I just thought it was so interesting to see how the moment you posted that, you had three different people coming in there in their minds, quote-unquote, eviscerating you, which was anything but that. They just looked like they were people that were completely off the ranch, totally distorting exactly what you meant so that they could have an argument and go back to their demonization of PSC. And people that are sitting back, myself included, at this, this entire argument and looking at it holistically are like, what a bunch of idiots. I mean, why are they sitting here pounding and arguing? 
arguing against the fact that we are making an impact on emissions, including what's happening with TSE and some of the things that we can do to reduce that. So it just goes to show you, I mean, nobody wants to have a conversation about what the World Energy Council and others are noting, including the UN, with their projections about a 40% shortfall of water availability globally by 2030. Even the World Bank, one of my clients, is covering this issue and talking about, you know, how the water shortages are harming energy production. So in our own country, you know, in particular, you know, power plants were forced to shut down or reduce generation due to low water flows or high water temperatures. In California, you know, one of our neighboring states, their generation was 38% lower due to reduced snowpack and low precipitation. Why can't we have a conversation like this without somebody feeling it's a zero-sum game and the moment you bring up these things, they're going to lose their chance to shoot down PSC. I don't get it. I mean, I don't think that PSC is an angel in the sense that everything they're doing is perfect. We do have to get rid of that coal, and we do have to have new, you know, some green power or whatever. But I would just say, take the opportunity to look at all of the information, bring that to you know to bear as a negotiating point with PSC for better power partnership. And I guess I get it. Some people don't want to deal with them at all. They think they should just completely be gone. But the reality is that you have to come up with a better deal because the one that's sitting on our table right now is our community. It's just not the solution. Um, so speaking of, let's jump. Nope. I want to talk about the Facebook straw poll. Okay. It's a straw yeah. poll. Does anybody know the definition of a straw poll? For heaven's sake. Of course they do. I mean, I, I, what is the big deal about this? I frankly think that you should have shut off. You mentioned it the other day, and I think you were right. You should have shut off the comments. You should have just made it a straight poll. You should not have allowed anybody to add any um, poll options, unfortunately, because it's turned into a total Charlie Fox trot with people so desperate to shoot down hearing from the public regarding what they feel about it that they have invested so much energy trying to marginalize it, and it's backfired. So people are just, you know, and I'm glad you put in the 10, 20 bucks or whatever it was to boost the damn thing so that Bay Ridge Islanders can just get past that nonsense and just vote. And no, it's not formal, and no, it's not a ballot, but it's still some feedback given all the threads and all the conversation that has taken place um, regarding this issue up to this point. So it was a point of curiosity, and I understood that. So anyway, what are your actually, thoughts about I I actually like what it did. Um, I'm glad their comments were on, and I'm glad that people threw poll options out there because it wasn't so much to – we're not we're not trying to do a, a a complete proxy of what everybody on the islands could because obviously the only people who are who are chiming in are the people on Bainbridge Island, Bainbridge Islanders. But you know what? It's a pretty big group of like uh, 8,200 people or something like that. Right. So it's a substantial number of people. I mean, all the city council members are on the group. So if you're going to pick an online group and say, hey, look, who wants to contribute or talk about this issue? Would you approve this? And if you have other options, add your options to the poll. That was its purpose, was to raise awareness. And I already knew from my own personal discussions that a substantial number of people were opposed to this. They didn't think the city should really be doing this. The problem was uh, the, the people that were proposing this were trouting out this, well, look, we had this uh, petition and 1,200 people signed, and so that's a substantial percentage of the people that believe we should do this and we should do this. And I was saying is, well, when you sold that petition, you sold it on, we can be cheaper, cleaner, better, more reliable, everything, we can get everything all at once. And I was like, that's very unrealistic. You know, if you want to be more reliable, uh, if you want to be greener, you're probably going to have to pay more money, especially when you factor in condemning the, uh, the network and building all the infrastructure and the facilities you're going to want. You can't promise everything and assume it's all going to happen. That's, that's very unrealistic. I think that's misleading. So... Uh, we talked to a lot of people who signed that petition, and there were f more than a few people that said to us, look, when we signed it, we thought it was a good idea, but now that we've looked at the, area, the thing and gotten more details, uh, we don't support it because we know it, it, would be, it would be very unrealistic. Well, when the petitioners are running out there and saying, look, everybody supports this, you should do this, city council, I, I needed to find a way to say, look, I think there's a lot of people that realize that that was very unrealistic. And some of those people that even signed that petition are not supporting it anymore. And we know them. So guess what? So we did this straw poll and like what we've seen from talking to people, it was more than 10 to one people are saying, no, this is not uh, something we really want city council to do because once they realize it would require a condemnation, 
that we have to uh, spend millions of dollars in legal fees alone just well, there are a lot the of different Not reasons for saying no. So, I, you know, I think you yeah. have your reasons, and that's great. But there are a lot of different reasons that people have given. I mean, yeah. and that, I think that goes to, unfortunately, you know, the people that have said, hey, we think that you should focus on other things or, you know, you haven't handled blah, blah, blah well in the past or whatever. Those people are being cast as anti-Kobe or whatever, which I think is just inane. I mean, the, the, the bottom line here is that there are a lot of different reasons for it. Some people realize that it's not going to be a net benefit. I mean, there's a lot of – some people want better, more proactive projects they just considered this one not the one that we should have and then you know i've I've got a lot of clients that um, deal with surveys and polls and so forth and you know there are pew studies out there about whether surveys conducted on the phone or over the internet are better and finding that you know even in some cases online polls can be more accurate because people are more candid responding to a computer than a live voice or person where they want to you know they'll, they'll be more harsh they'll be more candid whereas when they're talking with somebody live or whatever there's some perceived pressure there so they'll sign up because they kind of want to get away or whatever it is but the point is you know I, I've had a client that did something where they um, had a poll. And so the question was, what would you say to Republicans who believe X, Y, Z? And so um, they say it was delivered to Democrats, and then they would respond. And so then you call the Democrats and say, what would you say to Democrats who believe X, Y, Z? And the response changes because the opposition was introduced in one instance and removed in another. So it just people like to put on their best face. They have a lot of biases. And so, you know, on the one hand, I can say, you know, don't put too much stock in polls and petitions and so forth. But on the other hand, you know, listen to what people are saying when those numbers are showing up. And, and even city council has said in their ward meetings that the 10 to 1 or 11 to 1 was being matched in emails and calls and in-person discussions that they were having. So instead of just focusing and trying to diminish, you know, the, the Facebook straw polls, see it as a tool. See it as something that is supplementing uh, a voice that's already occurring out there in the community and try to figure out a way to deal with that. Um, but I also thought it was interesting when, when you were accused of, of introducing an acronym that was supposed to be bureaucratic and that was supposed to give people this negative. I mean, come on, for heaven's sake, when we did the t- 2015 podcast, Jane said the structure would be decided by the community. Steve Johnson said the city-owned model was probably the best one. It's in their documentation. So why take something that's already there and to contort it into something bad? It, it just sounds desperate and it's dumb. And I think we all deserve better than that. So I think that you know the bottom line is that it, it, instead of attacking and dismissing people who don't agree with you, um, why not instead of being tone deaf? Why not just you know spend some quality time coming up with some win-win so that we can you know live with that? And then of course even the city council didn't help itself when we went to one of those meetings and and they were the public was characterized as ignorant and uninformed. Oh geez, I mean. There was a Bainbridge Review opinion about that, suggesting that they open their eyes. And then, of course, they were counterattacked in, in you know, the paper and said, you know, why don't you care about climate change? Well, of course we care about it. Stop that. I mean, there's such a selective arrogance in this town when it's convenient to portray us as not understanding something simply because we don't agree. And then on the other side of their mouths, you know, stats are cited about how we voted on the carbon tax initiative and how forward-thinking we are. And it's like, so, you know... When are we going to understand that this is just a debate on something of importance, and instead of trying to make people into puppets or stupid or whatever, let's start talking about ways that we can make this work. So we've had some ward meetings. That's great. Um, I, and, and let's spend – we've got about uh, – somebody is pinging us. We've got about five minutes here. Let's talk about um, the new – programs that were introduced to our city council, no matter where you stand on that issue, um, from PSC, Green Direct and Solar Choice. Are you familiar with those? What do you want to say about those? Well, as I understand Green Direct, um, basically by signing on to the Green Direct program, it's only available to larger power producers. Correct. Um, And and the, the, the solar energy program is similar in that what they do is PSC matches up your load with a producer of a renewable energy source. And in some cases, somebody who's building or uh, adding some. Essentially, one of the problems is, you know, when you have a coal or gas plant or something that's already in existence uh, and it's producing energy, and you say, hey, I want to use a renewable energy source, well, you've got to invest in building that plant. That's expensive. It's not a free ride. Uh, it still costs a lot of money to put in, you know, a multi-megawatt solar plant or a multi-megawatt wind farm. But what this Green Direct program is doing is basically saying with PSC, look, you know, we'll partner you up with somebody who wants to build that resource. Uh, you know, 
they, by signing a long-term agreement, I think in the agreement you're agreeing to a 2% per year increase in electric rates, which is kind of comparable with what you're seeing in, in, in the general market. Um, but by, by them doing that, they uh, lock you into a long-term contract, and that contract then allows them to say, look, here's a customer with a demand profile that looks like X, so now we can build a, a renewable resource and pair you up with that resource. So it's just another tool for creating more renewable energy generation capacity. I think that's, that's a step in the right direction of creating new resources. Um, and uh, I think that's something we should strongly consider. It's certainly a, a good investment if you think about all the money you would be investing in, in things that aren't productive. If you look at something like that, you are creating new gen renewable gener energy generation capacity. Uh, and a lot of times the efficiency programs have also been a good investment because the best kilowatt is the kilowatt not, not used at all. So uh, we've spent heavily on renewables, I'm sorry, energy conservation programs for quite some time. And uh, that has kept demand down for a long time, but I wonder to how much more that will still be possible. So we may be picked, we've, the low-hanging fruit has been picked when it comes to energy conservation. So over time, we are going to still have to deal with growth. I thought that low-hanging fruit, you know, that's supposed to be middle management jargon, apparently, according to some of the remarks, which I think is amusing. Uh, but anyway, I'm not going to get into that. I, I, you know, I've looked at some of the uh, the presentation that City Council received from PSC about the Green Direct program and the, the bundled new re renewable energy Municipal customers, eligible large corporate customers that use more than 10 million kilowatts hours per year. That's what that's for, for the development of a new wind project. It's in south central Washington. Uh, it's going to be built by 2019. And then PSC is entering to a, into a power purchase agreement with the same developer that built its other three wind firms. And um, the, the Solar Choice one is new. Um, apparently, it came online last year. It'll replace coal-fired plants in Idaho's Treasure Valley area. Covers about 600 acres or more, and it's probably among the largest in the country. And it's going to serve more than 17,000 homes. So, you know, there are people who are like, "Well, you're just purchasing and you know," and it's like, "Well, these are building other resources, and that plus the other deals that they're having with large corporations like Facebook and 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 Amazon and and um, you know uh, Microsoft. I think those are the types of things that." build the capacity and build the demand to start moving us off of um, coal and off of other fossil fuels. I, you know, I think that, you know, thinking that buying their infrastructure to the tune of tens of millions of dollars after fighting them for several years on Bainbridge Island is not something that moves the needle in the same way. So I would like to see us do things like that. And then there was one final thing. We've got about two minutes here that people brought up was HB 1646. It's the Clean Energy Transition Act. Um, it's, it's more equitable than the carbon tax initiative we saw recently because this bill will actually reinvest the funds in homegrown uh, clean energy solutions and communities in Washington where people are already being hit the hardest by pollution. Um, I thought it was very interesting that people were arguing that we were so forward-thinking on the island and took such pride in, in the fact that 60% of our voters supported I-732 when it really was uh, leaving out a lot of the um, – uh, less fortunate people, and, and that's just not the way you go about doing stuff like this. So um, probably got about a minute for you to make some comments uh, if you want to wrap some of this up. Talk, you want to talk really quickly about the ward meetings? How about that? Well, I was going to say in, in the ward meetings, I think they reflected a lot of the online, uh, what's been discussed online. Um, obviously, uh, people are you know, covering a lot of different topics there. I think a lot of people have been uh, – Upset over the Seattle, uh, the STO, the trail to the uh, to the Olympics, the uh, straight to the Olympics trail, and the uh, removal of trees, that came up a lot in the ward meetings. But I think around the MEU, I think the, the conversation we've been having online has been well reflected uh, in the ward meetings as well. So um, I, I want to say the last thing I would say is I understand some people have some. It, this isn't evil motivations. These are people that want us to be cleaner and greener. And that yep. is a noble thing. So I would say uh, I don't want to demonize people. I want to find out, you know, what kind of things are real solutions uh, that can actually help move the needle. And I think we're coming up with some of those things as a result of these conversations. That's what I would say. That's a fair comment. And I think that, you know, most people that know you know that you're probably one of the 
the most compassionate and, and kind-hearted type people. And it's just been, for me at least, it's been very unfortunate um, and people that know you to come online and see you uh, portrayed as someone that has, you know, completely uh, sinister or nefarious uh, intent, which is complete, which has it's more of a reflection of the persons that are accusing you than than who you really are, and that has to be tough to deal with. But it is what it is, you know, all part of the the community conversation. And I think eventually we just get to where we need to um, if we just trust that we can. So, well, I guess that's my cue. That's it, people. And I am froggy today. So. Thanks for tuning in this afternoon. You can now hear the podcast here, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn. Follow us at Facebook at backslash S-E-R-A Talk Radio. That's Sammy Tommy Roger, the number eight at Talk Radio. I'm Donya Keating here, signing off at almost about 2 o'clock Pacific Time on Friday, April 28th. We'll see you when we see you. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.